Hello, everybody, and welcome to the 414th episode of MTG Fast Finance, the podcast that reaches into the lupine jaws of defeat to save your specs from the flames of war. MTG Fast Finance is your weekly podcast covering the world of Magic the Gathering finance, collection management, and speculation. I am your host, James Chilcott, aka at MTG Critic on Twitter. My co-host is Cliff Daigle, aka at Word of Commander on Twitter, and we're here to help you folks make and save money playing our favorite game, Magic the Gathering. Hello, everybody. As always, I'm looking forward to diving into everything that happened this week. But before we do, I want to remind our listeners that this show is produced by mtgprice.com, the leading MTG finance community. Please sign up today at mtgprice.com to plan your specs, chat on a great Discord, and read articles by some of the best financial minds in the hobby. MTG Fast Finance is proudly sponsored by Cool Stuff Inc., where you can find all sorts of cool nerdy stuff in stock, including all the best in Magic the Gathering singles, sealed product, and a plethora of other collectibles. Use the promo code FINANCE5, that's the number 5, during checkout at CoolStuffInc.com to save 5% off your order and support this podcast. Cliff, my friend, what is on our busy agenda this week? First off, we've got the Metagame Week in Review. We're going to talk about a couple big modern events that happened over the weekend. Segment two is our top movers on in paper and online, followed up by our cards to watch. You and I have some great picks for the week, and our topic this week, we want to talk a little bit about the Fallout that's coming, and literally the Fallout Commanders, and the top ten Commanders of the week, since we've got a new set to talk about. All righty, let's take a look at a whole bunch of pretty large paper tournaments uh, we're seeing week to week, which is a very nice change from the darkest days of the onset of COVID. People seem to think that paper magic was going to be dead, and certainly we're not no longer in the heyday of the pro tour grind. But there are still magic players traveling all the time to these big tourneys. Case in point, DreamHack this weekend in Denver had a whole bunch of big events and side events, a plenty, including a modern 10k eight slot RCQ that was where all the new MKM cards were illegal. There was 404 players involved. This one was taken down by a new hybrid, Shardless Rhinos, uh, with Leyline of the Guild Pack. So as Leyline burst onto the scene in early testing, we saw domain decks uh, start to take down some leagues, you know, 4-0s, 3-1s here and there. And then they started trying to integrate it with this Rhinos list. And now we have four Leyline of the Guild Pack and four Scion of Draco out of MH2 taking down this big tournament in Colorado. Pretty amazing stuff. The way that the guild pack the leyline of the guild pact interacts with Scion of Draco, giving not only making Scion a two mana four four flyer, but it's a two mana four four vigilance, hexproof, first strike, trample, uh lifelink flyer. Cause now Scion is all colors, so it gets all the abilities. Uh you're you're lifelinking, you're doing everything. You need to have some ridiculous answers ready to go. There's still a lot of uh, Tishana's Tidebinder going around, which is a delightful answer to all of that. So you just counter the Cascade trigger and have a great day. I really like that rather than have to rely on a counterspell. So I'm, I'm real impressed with all of these. We've got great things going on, such as uh, the decks running a couple copies of the Lorien Revealed to go find an island so you make sure you hit your perfect arrangement of things. It's just... A beautiful, beautiful combination of things. I saw one uh, Twitter take that had it talked about, well, this is the same story as when uh, Dark Depths met Thopter Foundry, and all of a sudden, 
nobody had any fun at all. The other thing that's going on here is the surveil lands, which I argued with people on, on Twitter, uh, you know, 10 days ago or so, that they were, in fact, going to see plenty of play in both EDH at minimum and modern as one or two of that you could go fetch end of turn to advantage. Sure enough, we're seeing them all over the place, including in this winning list. They only had the one thundering falls, but one to two, uh, as we're going to see as we go through the rest of this, t- these two top eights, one to two surveil lands is looking like it's very much going to become the norm for a lot of the different archetypes. You know, it's just it's just pure upside if you don't yeah. need a triome at end of turn and you're you don't need the shock in turn, then you absolutely want to be surveilling end of your opponent's turn because then you're just getting additional uh, upside. Also worth mentioning that you can uh, do Lorien reveal to get a surveil land if that's something you really need to do because it's an island. So yep. not only is it fetchable, you can search it up for just one mana. Exactly. So, I mean, the especially nasty thing here now in this hybrid Rhinos deck is that you not only have to figure out how you're going to beat two four four Tramplers when the Rhinos gets put into play off Shardless Agent, you now also have to have point removal for Scion of Draco under a Ley Line being able to, as you said, grant itself all of its own abilities, which is not something it, it could previously do. It's hexproof. You, point removal is just kind of laughable. Well, they're going to have to be able to get rid of the guild pack and then deal with the scion. Right. Which is a lot to ask. So not particularly surprised to see this doing well before the meta has a, ch- a chance to adjust. And in fact, it wasn't only first place. It also was in third place with almost identical list. The rest of this was Amulet Titan in second featuring four the one ring as per usual. The older version of Shardless Rhinos without the upgrades was in fourth. I would imagine that's just an experienced pilot that couldn't get the upgrade cards and had, had, or hadn't right. had a chance to test them. We also have a black-green Yogmouth list running two of the black-green surveil land. That's Underground Mortuary that finished in sixth. Hardened Scales finished in seventh, running three Agatha Soul Cauldron. Black Red Scam still making an appearance here in eighth place. But by far, oddly enough, the most interesting list isn't even the Shardless Rhinos, even though it might be the one that's most likely to make future appearances. The most interesting deck here is an entirely new archetype, red-white mid-range. I have not seen anything like this. A bunch of the cards involved have shown up in other decks, but usually when you talk about red-white and modern, you're talking about burn with a couple of small aggro creatures that force uh, you know, early answers and are, are functionally attacking burn spells. This is something entirely different. This is two Giver of Runes, two Magus of the Moon to punish all of the greedy mana bases, mm. four of Ragavan... Again, a card back on the agenda since Fury was banned. Four Ranger Captain of Eos, a card that kind of comes and goes and, and you know has never really found a permanent home. Two Sarah Paragon, a card I play in most of my white decks in EDH, but not a, a four casting costs value creature. is not something you tend to see a lot of in modern unless they're casting it for free. A Shivan Devastator out of uh, the same set, four Solitude, four Sun Gold Sentinel, which I'm certain is the first time I've ever seen this in modern. Mm-hmm. This is one and a white for a 3-2 human soldier. It's a midnight hunt rare. Whenever it enters the battlefield or attacks, exile up to one target card from a graveyard. And then it has the Coven ability, which triggers off of having three or more creatures with different powers. You pay one and a white, choose a color, and then it gains hexproof from that color until end of turn and can't be blocked by creatures of that color this turn. I suspect it's mainly here for the exile ability, but the rest is, you know, it's three mana. I'm sorry, three power for two mana, which is a, always a, a nice deal to have. 
Fascinating to me, though, that this is the two-drop of choice, since there are many other options. I would love to hear the breakdown as to why, what exactly this is supposed to answer in the meta. They also have three Thalia Garden of Thraven, which was, you know, a long-standing staple in the humans lists for, for modern. A timeless dragon, so they can go search up their own dual lands. And then the Instant and Sorcery mix is one Flame Slash, four Lightning Bolt, three Prismatic Ending, and then they have three Fable of the Mirror Breaker. I would imagine that anybody sitting across from this was absolutely baffled by half of what was going on here. I got to think about all the times that you go turn one Ragavan and you get your hit in and they're like, crap, you got a treasure. And then you lay down uh, Magus of the Moon and you look at the other person and you say, what do you got? Because a lot of decks, especially game one, that is just, you know, locked down, uh, enjoy your five color shenanigans. Although I... I don't know the ruling about Magus and Leyline. Does it have to do about which one comes into play second? Do you know well enough how that works? No, I'm not entirely sure how the layers work there. Man. Looking at this other big tournament over in Japan, 257 players at the Champions Cup run by Big Magic. Shardless Rhinos took this one down as well, first, third, and sixth, but none of these were the updated versions. I'm not sure if they the cards weren't legal. Uh, or people just hadn't had a chance to upgrade yet. This is instead, uh, the first place list was running two Merktide Regent, which was a, another recent development just before the MKM release that seemed to be coming up with Rhino's list. And then there was two Surveil Lands in both of the third and sixth place lists. There was also Living End in second and seventh, and the seventh place list had two Surveil Lands of its own. Amulet Titan made another appearance here, very similar configuration to the one in America. That was the fifth place list, and then Black Red Scam was eighth in both tournaments. So in terms of Fury being banned, we've said it uh, the last couple of weeks. Looks like it Scam right where it needed to be, right? Still, still a presence in the format, still a viable deck, but it's not the best deck anymore. And it's probably tier 1.5 or tier 2. So on a scale of uh, Calm Down to Hogak, uh, how do you feel about the discourse around banning uh, Leyline of the Guild Pack since everybody wants to play it? Let's see what happens. I mean, you got to prove that to me by Shardless Rhinos ending up being 50% of the meta like we were seeing with Black Red Scam when they went after Fury. Okay. And and the, th- the interesting thing about that ban in terms of effectiveness is it's a pretty good ban in the sense that there's only really one slash two decks that want to run it. Obviously, there's going to be people angry that went after the guild packs, but if they won a tournament, <laughs> they probably already made their money back. It's not the greatest to be banning something this early that isn't a just-release set, but th- it leaves the decks entirely viable. It's not like you have right. to throw out your Rhinos deck. Rhinos was already Tier 1 before MKM came out. If this puts it into broken range, then they're going to have to do something about it, and it's probably Leyline, because Leyline it enables them right. to just to have a whole different dimension to the game. It's the, you know, you don't, you no longer need to be, can I shardless rhinos into my, you know, on three. Now you're like, can I Draco on two and then rhinos on three? Like picture that where you have. Man. <laughs> it's very, totally viable turn three to have gone Draco. You, you could have suspended a rhinos on one huh. then go Draco, then go shardless into rhinos and you end up with a two 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 four fours and four, and four, a 
four four everything that has all the abilities. Well, no, all your creatures have everything. That's, that's... well, yeah, but I'm I'm just going through the details of what they have okay. gained. Draco Draco gets the full package. The other ones, if the ley line is in play, then yes, they also have all of those things, and and that's just completely out of control. Now that's obviously a nut draw, but it's not that hard given that they you know they're running four ofs of all of the above. So Charles Rhino ley line might be too good. And we will certainly be on the lookout for that as the meta continues to shape up. Over in top paper movers, lots and lots of action. Now, people seem pretty lukewarm about MKM, but as a result, there isn't that much inventory in the market. And MKM cards are going through the roof where they're getting played. The version of Silence that's found in the Princess Bride Secret Lair uh, from a few months back got 12 to 18. Easily the coolest version of that card, up 50%. Crashing Footfalls Borderless, a card that was definitely discussed in the Discord, going 10 to 17. Rhinos being the tier 1 deck in Modern is going to push that up as the only other version of the card since Modern Horizons 1, which was, you know, several years ago now. Ghostly Prison Borderless Foils is a card I flagged for everybody early on. The day that my inventory landed and I cracked a CB, I pulled one of the Ghostly Prisons, and I held it under... I usually open... Uh, under a pretty strong light and I started like moving it around and I was like holy shit this looks way better in person than it does on you know with a static image because the ghosts that are around the person fade in and out as you as you rotate the card they almost look holographic it is by far the coolest ghostly prison way cooler than the neon dynasty uh, secret layer version absolutely the one you want to have in your collection and bunch of the pro traders ran out and snapped some off as I as I showed some pictures of what it did and that pushed the price up into the like mid high 20s it got back down to as low as 16 on the weekend but people just snapped them off again and it's currently sitting at 24 so that's gone 12 to 24 basically since release and up 100% that's a card that's in 2000 EDH rec decks and should be in most white decks so you know, given that they've just given it to us in two different promo capacities over the last year or so, I would imagine premium versions of it are going to be left alone for the most part for the rest of the year, given what sets we know are coming. So on Friday, my article came out about, um, you know, I looked at more some of the numbers involved with Karloff Manor after I calculated the drop rates and everything the previous week. And uh, the first thing that I flagged was undercosted foil borderless ghostly prisons. Uh, so I said the fo- foils are at 12. If we get a glut of copies, it might get to 10, but I fully expect this to hit 20 or more. So, you know, it's it's true. We're, we told people. And if you're in the Discord or reading the articles, then you were able to get in on this pretty quickly. And I know I've got one uh, that's on the way to me for a very reasonable price. And the thing with both Crashing Footfalls and Ghostly Prison in that context is that they're both mythics when they were originally... I think Ghostly Prison started as an uncommon in right. its original release, and Footfalls was a was a rare. They're labeled as mythics in the special guest setting, but um, they're they're all equal rarity, so they're all mega rare. Uh, in Lost Caverns of Ixalan, there was different calculations for the special guests depending on its rarity, but in this batch in Murders at Karlov Manor, we got all twelve being the same rarity. Yeah, and th- and that they're marked as mythic as you said, but they're actually more rare than your average mythic. Much more. One in 333 uh, collector booster packs to get a foil one of a special guest. Yeah. 
So Leyline of the Guild Pack, of course, with all this action and modern, eight to nineteen dollars, just the regular version. All versions off the hook. Everything that I cracked, and I had one of most of the versions sold like within twenty four hours of posting. Easy breezy. Underpriced them by five or ten dollars. Could have got more. Pretty much everybody else in the Discord saying the same thing. Yeah, this is your exit point on Leyline because yeah. either it's too good and it gets banned, or it fades out of existence. There is another option where it just continues to do well but doesn't get banned, in which case it could end up being a $40 or $50 card. But generally speaking, for something like this, with as narrow an application as it has, I'm perfectly happy to get in, in the fi- out on, at the $15 to $25 range and, and roll right on. Uh, one thing we're going to notice on this list is there's a whole lot of Murders at Karloff Manor cards that spiked upward, which is an unusual thing for the first weekend. But between the surveil lands, the craziness with uh, Leyline of the Guild Pact, and the fact that, you know, initial reports had this kind of being underpowered, so people might not have gone out and bought. So we're having an unusual thing where people are buying up cards left and right. And uh, like you said, I would absolutely be selling. Scion of Draco out of MH2, 4 to $10 on the same uh, level of nonsense. And really all versions of this. There's a foil borderless, a borderless, a foil etched. And, you know, we had some copies at a group buys that are finally in the money. I had copies I bought in Japan under $6 for, for borderless non-foil and foil etched that are in the money. I sold a German foil etched this weekend. It basically feels like you could sell an infinite number of Dracos right now. And this is something like the 43rd card in MH2 to spike since release. <laughs> Something like that, yes. And and similarly, that's about the same number of cards that have top-aided from that set. So with Modern Horizons 3 coming up in the summer, you have to wonder, is it going to be the same level of pushed, more pushed, less pushed? What are they after? Going to be very interesting to see how June goes. Audric Master Tactician Foil Etched of Commander Masters, the big uh, summer set. 3 to $8 Foil Etched cards continue to be targeted there. There was a couple of others I flagged that didn't make this list, but they're in the same boat. That's a 42,000... Actually, no, it can't be that number. I think Audric is a different number. One second. Audric is... No, he is 42,000. It must be Ghostly Prison that was a number. number. I think Ghostly the Ghostly Prison, Prison I said was... Yeah, I think that one's a lot higher. Yeah, Ghostly Prison, sorry, is 202,000. <laughs> so let's... <laughs> we're going to call that a super staple... Whereas Audric is just a you know a solidly played white card. Uh, War Leader's Call Call was another one of my favorites from MKM, and it's showing up in both standard and Voja decks in EDH. Voja being the number one commander of the week. War Leader's Call both buffs your team's aggressive power and does damage to things as creatures come into play. This syncs well with. Uh, Voja, but also syncs well with the Ginny Fey and Jetmir decks that were just sold through the Secret Layer program, and. In truth, I've put this into a whole bunch of decks. I put it into St. Traft, where I'm making a bunch of tokens every turn. And basically, red-white aggro token decks in EDH will easily find reason to run this, because it just does double duty for three mana. It's hard to argue with, yeah. Going 3 to $8. I would imagine this one's going to fade, given some time. But the one of the things I noticed is the case file frames for MKM are not particularly attractive, especially when seen flat online. In hand, with foiling and the invisible link, I actually thought they were cooler. The invisible link concept was very well executed. Hard to see if it's sleeved or double-sleeved, right. but in terms of collectability, and you know, it's a unique print- printing job. And also, as, the, as a marketer, I'm looking at that going, wow, that was like multiple treatments through the machine to get that, that whole thing done properly. It's not easy to do. 
yeah, I was more impressed with it than I thought I would be. But it's actually the other frames that look that are absolute stunners. I forget what it's called, but it's whatever whatever the borderless frame is for MKM that you can get on on things like War Leader's Call, Insidious Roots, etc. Magnifying glass. Yeah, that one's actually really nice and looks great in sleeve. So War Leader's Call foil showcase looks great uh, and is probably the, the version you want for personal use. Uh, then we have a whole bunch of the surveil lands um, going up. We have a meticulous archive, which is the blue white land, going two to six dollars, two hundred percent. We have underground mortuary borderless, going four to twelve dollars, two hundred percent. We have the undercity mortuary, which is the blue black land, going four to eighteen, three hundred and fifty percent. And I called out on Twitter today. You know, I tried to tell you guys these lands we're definitely going to see play you you mentioned in the discord and just wait until we get to rotation yeah and people need need them even more there's possibility that even if they fade off of these early highs which is what should happen we should see these fade into summer as people get the copies they need for modern etc and then they can and then the demand backs off but you know six months or a year from now or 18 months from now these might be very hard to you know could could end up being you know 10 to 20 dollar lands semi-permanently Tune in on Friday. I've got a whole article coming about this because rotation is uh, going to really change what mana bases can do right now. And I think the surveil lands are going to be an excellent pickup once they hit their lows at the end of this opening season. Aspiring Spike was fooling around with an insidious root stack on showcase, uh, sorry, on YouTube uh, over the over the course of the last week. And showcase foils in that really nice frame I just mentioned went three to nine dollars a result, another two hundred percent gainer. Hollowhenge Overlord, which is a Vok card, that's the uh, Crimson Vow Commander cards, uh, 4 to 16, and I think, I'm trying to remember if that was the, if that had a foil version. Let me just double uh, check see. that. I don't think it did. Uh, Hollowhenge, uh, there's No, that's, that's the non-foil version only. It's one of those Commander cards where they oh. weren't printing foils of. TCG players being weird lately. I don't think there are foils of this of either type. This is a 4-4 four, four for 6 wolf with flash at the beginning of your upkeep. For each creature you control that's a wolf or a werewolf, you create another 2-2 two, two wolf token. Voja, of course, is a commander that says... Um, when it attacks, whenever get... whenever it attacks, you put plus one plus one counters on each creature you control, where X is the number of elves you control, and then you draw a card for each wolf you control. So you want to have as many wolves as possible in play. There's only so many cards that make wolves, so you're going to run pretty much all of them. And the inclusion rate, as a result, inside Voja for Hollow Henge is going to be you know pretty high. It's like 68 percent so far out of 2,200 decks reported on EDH Rec thus far. And so if you've got Crimson Vow bulk sitting around you may have overlooked this card and if you can get anything over 10 for it fantastic no i'm for it it's going to be a great stuff and we're going to talk about it more in a moment we've also got bailoth baratel uh, extended art out of commander legends battle for Baldur's gate going five to twenty dollars it's a bunch of goad focused edh decks that have been highlighted on youtube channels lately and every time we play with goad in the pro trader discord games i'm always happy like very impressed with the design crafting that went into this particular ability. It forces people out of pocket, makes them do uncomfortable things, accelerates the speed of the game, leads to dramatic tensions. It's good. Groat is just a fantastic commander-focused ability. And the cards like this that are, you know, we're not 
you know, that was a relatively unpopular set. There aren't a ton of Bayloths sitting around. Not particularly surprised to see it showing motion, you know, mid-tier range of time out from its original release. Yeah, it's it's money. It's so good to make uh, your opponents do uncomfortable things. And the best part is you goad and then you sit back and watch other people beat each other up. It's great. It's really great. The other big one, of course, Cyan of Draco Foil Etched, MH2, 5 to $22, 340% gains. I can't tell you how nice it is to, you know, have this, have a sub $5 mythic, an additional mythic out of MH2 popping off. I mean, that's for people that cracked a lot of MH2, that's just an absolute gift heading into potential reprint potential with MH3. And then the biggest mover of the week was a card I don't think you and I even mentioned in our set. Any of our lead-up, our our previews, or our set review for MKM, I'm talking about Cryptic Coat, a card that Aspiring Spike has said is being completely underestimated. I've watched several of his videos on it. I watched LSV play through a draft where he had it and absolutely dominated. This is two and a blue for an equipment, and when it enters the battlefield, you cloak the top card of your library, then attach Cryptic Coat to it, which gives it plus one, plus zero, and can't be blocked. So you're getting a 3-2 unblockable. So what, when I opened a foil extended art of this, I was like, I did put it aside because I was like, in my ninja's build, this is going to be amazing. Right. That's a neat card. Because you get to put it on a, a flipped down ninja, or maybe it's your Blightsteel Colossus. And Could be anything. It's going to be it's going to be unblockable. You're going to be able to ninjutsu the thing back to your hand if that's appropriate, or you can just flip it up and hit them with the Blight Seal if you've got enough mana. But it's got this extra ability on it that I think a lot of people overlooked. One in a blue, return it to your hand. But that doesn't kill the creature you had already put in play. That creature stays as a 2-2 two, two, two ward 2. So if you've got enough mana, you can just pick this thing up, put it down, pick this thing up, put it down, pick this thing up, put it down, and end up with three, four creatures in play. The last one has the plus one, plus zero, and can't be blocked. And all of them are now threats to turn up and do things. And you can do that by just paying their costs. So Spike was looking at it in brews that were Hammer Time-esque without being exactly Hammer Time. And... So far, it's seeing, you know, moderate amounts of play on on EDH Rec, and I suspect that there are going to be, people are going to find more ways to fool around with it. The thing that holds it back in Modern, of course, is that it's a five-mana cycle. Right. It's not like it wins, it's not like it wins the game immediately. And this is a format where people are doing the Scion of Draco into the Shardless Agent into two, four, four tramples with a bunch of other abilities that get layered by the Draco. So I'm not convinced it's it's a modern card that's going to survive. As such, I think I'm selling into the current hype cycle and assuming that it's going to float lower. Yeah, it's a it's a rare. I mean, if it were a mythic, I could see like people want to chase it harder. But it's a rare from a set that's having multiple cards, multiple rares spike really hard. Now, there's more rares than than usual in in modern formats. You know, there's 80 rares now, so there's you know less to hit. But at the same time, you've got a lot of really great hits, and people are going to be opening this set. And think, oh, here's another twenty. Here's another ten. Here's another ten. Here's another twenty. And I would, I would be selling my cryptic coats pretty hard right now. It's neat. It's powerful, but it's, uh, it's definitely at its, at its, at a high price and should be sold at, accordingly. Yeah, Spike basically said he thought it replaced Batter Skull in in relevant scenarios. And wow. Modern, so, uh, that's and a, said he was very said he said he was very happy to get rid of the Batter Skull for it. And uh, the games I, I I watched him. I think he went four one in the league that I that I saw him run through with it in his 
uh, adapted list that was leaning on Stoneforge Mystic. That's the card I'm thinking of. Mystic into this thing can can be very nasty against decks that are looking to go one for one on point removal. They got they got to pay the extra and chew right. up parts of their turn to deal with the ward two in the first place, and then who knows what you're turning up and what that's going to do. So, yeah, uh, lots of early action on MKM that people need to be aware of. Over on Magic Online, very similar things going on. Shark Typhoon doing well in blue-white control lists in Pioneer. And I think there's also some indomitable creativity lists that we're running a copy. 2.17 ticks to 3.69. That's 70% gains there. Leyline of the Guild Pack, 14.84 ticks to 27 tickets. 84% gains as part of that modern rocket ship archetype package. Scion of Draco Borderless, very similar action, 3.58 ticks to 6.87, 91% gains. One of the other weird things that went on this week on Magic Online was I think they gave a bunch of full sets away to people for They MKM. did, yeah. There was some kind of bug where every, uh, I saw somebody's tweet about this, where uh, every match in a in a, a thing was an 001 draw. So just the whole thing. So... Uh, something crazy happened and they gave away a bunch of sets. Now they've clawed them back since, but there was an interim phase where it crazy, like wildly affected prices. And then people were in our discord that follow our MTGO channel were swooping in to buy up cheap sets on the premise that they would then cash them out into paper and have access to selling off Leyline and, and the surveil lands right. and so forth while, while they're spiking. Once that facility opens up and they can get their hands on it, the pr- so that leads to a weird scenario. If you bought a full set, as one of our Discord members reported from GoatBots, for instance, during this period, and then it got clawed back later, does that come out of GoatBots' account or your account? Like, are they tracking if it, if it changes hands and then just deleting it from your collection? <laughs> so then you've got to go look for recompense, but how are you going to prove you didn't just resell it? I don't know, man. That's, that's a thing that I, I couldn't say how they're going to solve this problem. But they they ought to figure this out. They're just being silly. I mean, it's not a big deal if you got it on, you know, if you got it and kept it and they claw it back. I mean, you don't really have much to complain about. They gave out the proper rewards instead. It's when it has changed hands after the fact. Right. That it becomes, you know. Problematic. Really weird. Yeah, super problematic. All right, moving on over to cards to watch. Listen, Crashing Footfalls decks are the number one deck in Modern. Whether or not they ban Leyline, it's still going to be a top deck. There is a reprint right here, right now, but it's, as we said, extremely low drop rates as a mythic special promo, a special guest feature. And those cards are already very expensive, both in foil and non-foil. The only other printing of this card is the original MH1. And those foils have been drained to basically nothing on TCG Player and are probably going to be 60 to $80 in the not-too-distant future because there's just no way to restock that in any reasonable fashion. So I think it's time to look at regular copies of Crashing Footfalls, which are currently sitting in and around $5. Yeah, there's 97 listings left total, but if we skim it down to near mint, you're only looking at 58, and nobody has super deep inventory. Almost everybody's on onesies, twosies. I see some like vendors holding 19 copies, 21 copies I see in the hands of an ex-pro trader. But it's not super deep inventory, and if this deck keeps doing well throughout the rest of the year... I don't think Crashing Footfalls is going to be on a secret layer or anything anytime soon because they just gave us a special guest. They probably thought that was going to be enough. I would not be surprised to see Footfalls go 5 to $12 in the next 6 to 12 months. 
All right. Uh, first thing, we got to get some disclaimers out of the way. Uh, do you know how many of these I own? Mm-mm. I am in on a brick of 50 of these that I bought uh, at three bucks a piece uh, way back in November of 21. So uh, right now I'm ahead on that. I've been actually looking for what buy list exit I can do for just all of them at the same time. So clearly you picking this to go to 12 puts a song in my heart and roller skates on my feet. So I'm I'm a believer, like I haven't sold them off yet, and I've been watching the regular copies grow, 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 and been uh, very impressed the whole way through. Uh, I, you know, I have already proven that I think this is a card that will get more expensive, and uh, I agree with you on reprints. I don't see a spot where they decide they're going to double tap this twice in a row. You can full pull non-foil versions of this from draft boost from play boosters, excuse me, but that's a pretty low drop rate too. And uh, you just the supply hasn't been there yet for this. And I, I I think you're dead on. This is going to do some impressive things. And uh, please, Lord, let it hit twelve dollars. I've got the diamond hands on these. I, I'm ready. I'm ready. I'm pretty sure I already buy-listed most of my English copies in when during its first spike, when Shardless Footfall decks were first starting to make their right, way up went from to tier 1.5. 50 cents to $3 or whatever? Yeah, something like that. And it was like just too good of a percentage exit to ignore, so I took my fixed stack and set them in. But I'm still sitting on a bunch of playsets of Russian, which is you know never going to get printed again. <laughs> and I've had a lot of good luck with, with Russian cards in that scenario lately. I think I put up a Russian pre-release copy of Anointed Procession from Amonkhet last night at 94, and it's snap sold. So, yeah, I just think Footfalls is going to get left alone because they think they just handled it. <laughs> the the non-foil price is still quite reasonable. You know, you need a, a playset of them, cool, it's going to cost you $20. And if it goes, if it doubles to 40 that's still pretty cheap considering this is modern we're talking about. We're too many years down the road for pallets of MH1 to get cracked. Yes. So so nobody's going to be able to go put, put 300 copies of this up online. I agree with you completely, buddy. All right. What's your first selection? Uh, my first selection this week is uh, something that got mentioned in the Discord, and uh, I went and got a personal copy, and I figured, oh my god, it's going to go so much higher. So the secret layer for cats and dogs, I realized that, uh, you know, that's a, a bit of news from a week or two ago, and we're all about the new stuff. But if you take a look at the singles, uh, the Anointed Procession, which amazingly did not get a serious reprint at all except for one list copy, and now this one, which is double-sided and has some of the cutest art around, uh, you can get it for around $60 in foil on TCG Player right now. There was a spot where you could get it for $50 a week ago, and I got a personal copy then, but I'm looking at these $60 copies, and I'm thinking, this is going to be a $100 card remarkably quickly. It's the best version by far, even if they put this in Modern Horizons 3 and give us some borderless action, they give us some uh, foil etched, I don't know what they'll do, but it won't be double-sided, and it won't have cute, cute puppy dogs on it. And we have seen, like, the, so the tokens are going for a great price from this deck. I just think that there is nowhere to go but really, really high on this card. And you should grab definitely your personal copies. If you did not get any secret layers uh, at, at sale price, 
grab this one. Um, I know I sure did, and I think other people should as well. But as a spec, I think it's going to hit 100 bucks within the next year for sure. I mean, normally something that's already $60, you have trouble believing it's going to get much higher. But there's a tremendous amount of FOMO around this particular release. True. The amount of people that care about pets in general was wildly underestimated during many of their early secret layer drops, as we've mentioned a couple times. The art on this one is absolutely fantastic given its target market. Ultra cute dogs on one side, ultra cute cats on the other. Going to be hard to beat. Unlikely to get another version of this anytime super soon. And there's only 14 listings. There's a steep ramp already formed. And one of the things that's unique about secret layer cards in this kind of circumstance is that I can't easily go to Japan and pick these up for cheaper and bring them on back and undermark the market because they don't print them in different languages. These things only come out in English. The overseas sales are always hampered by shipping costs and so forth, uh, even though they have uh, localized regional depots supposedly set up for Europe and I think Asia, APAC, Pacific region. They say they have that, yes. But that doesn't result in cheaper cards overseas. In Japan, most of the time when I'm looking at a secret layer version of something, it's more expensive, not less. So there's there's no help to be found with that kind of arbitrage. And that means these are probably headed up. I don't know if they're going to land from 60 to 75 or 60 to 100. But I think that if you want a personal copy, you could cross your fingers and hope that the market ends up with more inventory. But I think so many of these decks are just being kept. Yeah. And, and built up, not like not torn down. And if you're all- going to take something out of the deck that you wanted to keep, this would be the last card you would choose. Because it's, it's already a really good card. It's already a commander staple. Well, and, and because Ginny Faye absolutely does not want to get rid of its anointed procession or its parallel lives. Also true. Because, because you have to double and triple. The funny thing is, I actually have a new use for both of those cards uh, and tokens. First, not only are both... Anointed Procession and Parallel Lives, also amazing in the Sam and Frodo food variants. Ugh. But because but because Wizards has pushed game tokens so hard the last five years, I figured out this weekend as I was looking around for what to build out of MKM for commander purposes with the Pro Traders, that I could build, finally, a five-color clue deck with everything that came out in the Doctor Who set and everything that came out in MKM you can build what I'm calling Joda's Detective Agency. And this is going to be my next big uh, Commander Deck Breakdown article, probably launching next week. Almost all of the clue-relevant creatures are legends. So the appropriate five-color commander is Joda, because then he just provides a backup angle to a deck that doesn't even really need a commander. The, the, The amount of silly things you can do in this deck that unfolded as we started playing was just completely hilarious. Like there's a card called Tangle Trove Kelp out of MKM, which is a six, six for seven artifact creature clue plant has ward two at the beginning of each combat. All your clues become six, six plant creatures until end of turn. Yeah. It blows my, uh, my pick for um, turning clues into creatures from a couple of weeks ago. Uh, I saw that come out and I was like, crap, that's so much better than Rise and Shine was. Darn it. Well, yeah, but you still run Rise and Shine and you ri- run Cyber Drive Awakener and you run, yeah. uh, what was the legacy card from Neo that uh, was big for a while? Oh, the one, the Kappa Cannoneer? Yeah, Kappa Cannoneer. Yeah. All of those are in there too because they all they all work well with the clues. 
And then I realized I had Sally Sparrow in play alongside the kelp. Well, Sally Sparrow says she's too white blue for a 2-3 human detective. By the way, a detective. A bunch of the, the, the cards in Doctor Who are randomly detectives, so they work with all the detective-focused clue cards out of MKM. You may cast creature spells as though they had flash. Don't care about that. But I do care about whenever one or more other creatures you control leave the battlefield, investigate. So Ooh. all the clues become 6-6 six, six and attack. Any of the ones that die... She turns them back into clues that then turn into six sixes the next turn. <laughs> well, and and then if you have a parallel lives or an anointed procession in play, any, anything the they, they they manage to kill, you just get more of, which is pretty silly. So whether or not you're building five color, as I'm proposing, which I think is a pretty fun, cool deck, but you can also build the uh, Bant clue commander, who was really good in the deck when I played her. Um, and she's in the, you know, we'll get to her in a second, but there's at least three or four clue focused commanders now that are going to want anointed procession. Tivit, Morska, I think it's Morska is the, I think that, uh, uh, yeah, Mor- Morska Undersea Sleuth is the Bant one right. out of MKM. And then you have Sam and Frodo and then you have Ginny Faye. I mean, that's four fairly popular, uh, commanders that all want to be fooling around with that stuff. You've also got. The, the, the potential to rebuild Ginny, Faye, and Jetmir with Rin and Siri inseparable, which is also a right. token stack and also wants both of those cards. So, I mean, that's a lot of demand. And at least at least two of those commanders are dog and cat focused. So I think there's a, an, there was an outside chance that we get Anointed Procession in one of the Fallout commander decks that'll be coming up since uh, junk tokens are going to be a thing that lets you, you know, exile the top card and you can play it this turn. But sure. uh, with it, when they were putting the decks together, it might have been right on the line for how much uh, they want to put into those precons. So we'll find out if they decide to. But it all comes down to this is the best version that is going to exist for a card that, you know, uh, even if they print it three times in a row like they did to doubling season, uh, all they got to do is leave it alone for a year. And it will climb back up. It is just that good and just that popular in that many ways. I also don't think taking Anointed Procession down to, say, sub $20 as a rare is going to affect the price of this particular version. Because it's still going to be the best version for a lot of people. And we've seen that, you know, you can print Rhystic Study a bunch of times. But the best versions of Rhystic Study are still going to be expensive. and, and, And ditto with doubling season. My second selection here is looking at Top Commanders of the Week. Top commander is uh, Voja Jaws of the Conclave. One of the cards for Voja that has the highest inclusion rate, and it is indeed extremely high, 80% of Voja decks are running it. So that's a you know massive synergy rate. Is Shalai and Halar, which is a mom commander card, so MOC. It's one Naya for a 3-3 Angel Elf with Flying Vigilance. Whenever one or more plus one plus one counters are put on a creature you control, they deal that much damage to target opponent. And of course, Voja puts plus one plus one counters on each creature you control equal to the number of elves you control when it attacks. And this is an elf itself. So you're going to build your deck with a bunch of elves and a bunch of wolf synergies. And with Shalai and Halar and your commander in play, you're going to start picking things off on the table which is very nasty indeed. There just aren't that many of these sitting around, and the foil extended arts are currently around $7 and draining out. I would imagine 7 to 15 is pretty reasonable if this commander stays popular for 6 to 8 weeks. So I'm saying 
pretty low timeline for me. I think within four months, this has a chance to get 7 to 15 if Foja keeps charging. The thing is, I, I, I'm i for this. I'm for cashing in on new hot commanders. I didn't think Voja would be that good. Um, do you know what the date is on the Fallout decks? Well, we're that getting we're getting one. that next we're getting that next month, but there's no way Shalai and Halara are in there. They just came out last spring. What I'm saying is that uh, it comes out March 8th, so it's got a solid month before we get the new commanders. Oh, you mean like in? will people be distracted by additional commanders on the in, right. on the influx? Yeah, that's entirely possible. Like Voja has to fade out of first position by summertime and and end up in the top 20 or something would be my guess. But people like wolves and people like elves. Is the thing. People like and, it's and, true. People do like and, those cards. And there's a bunch of stuff for that for that deck that was gifted in Lord of the Rings, for instance, where nobody had really anywhere to put it. Unless you have Lathro built, you know, you may not have built an elf deck lately. And now you get to make a, you know, an elf deck in colors that normally aren't elfy, right? You get to play elves with red alongside. So that opens up all sorts of things like putting uh, War Leader's Call and whatever into your deck. And I think that's, it's a unique angle and a unique play pattern that has two different dimensions, the number of wolves and the number of elves, and and just looks fun to play as like a, a mid-rangey commander. Right. So I think the, the fact that it's a mock card that was not really on people's radar at all, but is a mythic, aren't that many of them sitting around, because if it was a rare, it'd be totally different. But as a mythic that came out of mom CBs, there aren't that many of those. And and as a result, they're gonna they have a pretty decent chance of draining out if Voja stays strong. You're right. There's uh, hardly any inventory available. Uh, there's not anything really standing in its way from getting there. If Voja stays popular for a few weeks, I think this has a chance to get there. Um, I just think that Voja is one of many commanders we've seen come along where it's popular for a few weeks and then goes away. There's there's no shame in that. There's all kinds of good stuff that, that you can pull off when these things arrive. And I think that if you have any, you will definitely get a chance to sell them for a delightful profit. I'm not sure it's going to happen for anybody who gets in like a little bit later on the curve. If they have to get in at 8 or 9, I don't think it'll get enough to, to make the profit you want. But uh, I see where you're coming from. And yes, if Voja stays popular, this will absolutely get there. All right. So what's your final selection? My other pick this week is a special guest card. Uh, As we've mentioned, special guests uh, in foil are hard to pull. And there's a version of a card that hasn't gotten a special version before. And that would be Show and Tell, which has always been a, well, it was a rare in Urza's Saga. It was a mythic in Conspiracy. There was a Judge Foil in 2013. That was a pretty special one. But this can be had for a surprisingly cheap price in Foil. Uh, you can get it for around uh, $30 right now. I think uh, you and I were talking about this before the cast. It's slightly downward on the trajectory, but the non-Foil is trending up. So we'll see how these uh, pan out. I'm putting it down on the sheet to go $25 for the foil uh, that you'll be able to pick it up in a week or two all the way up to 45 because right now the other special versions of Show and Tell are available like Conspiracy Foils are around uh, that $45 price line and the Judge Foils are around $55, $60. So getting in for 25 and expecting it to match the price of the other foils seems like a given. 
uh, especially given how few of these there are around. Now, this is not a popular commander card, uh, unlike most of the cards we usually pick. This has a terrible EDH rec inclusion rate. It's like 5,000 decks because you don't want to give uh, each of your opponents the chance to put the best thing into play. If somebody played this against me, uh, I believe I would get up and just dab a couple of times before I slammed a dragon into play or something. So I'd, I'd be curious what people decide to throw into play. And uh, this is mainly for people who are cube enthusiasts and have their own pet decks they want to play. And some legacy, but show and tell comes and goes with legacy. We'll see if this becomes uh, big due to legacy. People might want to upgrade from their judge promos that they probably spent a lot more money on. But I think 25 to 45, especially if it's trending downward in the moment, uh, should be a quite reasonable uh, way to get there. I think my strategy on this, given the lack of play pattern in major formats, no modern play, no EDH play, would just be to wait and see how low it can get. I'm happy to keep this on my cards watch list and keep looking at it, but I would not be jumping on it at its current price of 30 30 to 35 or whatever. I'm not even sure your 25 is going to be the floor. Could be, could be twenty, could be fifteen. Like I, my God, I don't think it'll get to fifteen. Th- there's not that many people that need it now. On the flip side, when you first started talking to me about this, I was thinking, well, I guess I'll just get the cheap copies in Japan. Eh, over in Japan, cheapest place I can find is like still sixty four US, which is way above your target. So from their perspective, they're thinking legacy, and. And they're pricing them based on to their rarity, right? Because they are still one of these special guest mythics, correct? Out of out of MKM. So overseas, it looks like I haven't checked Europe yet. That could be better. Um, but yeah, I, I think this is just you know it doesn't have a broad enough play pattern. A fancy version of the card does have some demand. We know that. I think you said the judge foil was close to sixty or something. Yeah. So that's probably our ceiling. And let's just see how cheap this one can get, and keep an eye on it. Absolutely. All right, a couple things on the weekly topic docket. Uh, the first one is that Fallout collector booster box allocations from several sources that I talk to on a regular basis are sounding a little sketchy. Uh, vendor partners in Europe are telling me that they didn't get nearly what they asked for. I heard the same thing from some some vendors in the U.S. as well. I know MVP Sports sent out an email today that more or less said the same thing. They were going to put up the decks for sale they were hoping to ship them alongside the CB, so they wanted to put both up for sale at the same time, but they couldn't get a firm answer about what their total allocation was going to be, and so they just put up the decks by themselves. Leads me to believe that because Doctor Who pre-ordered poorly, and the rumor on that was that they uh, underprinted or destroyed product as a result, that they figured Fallout might suffer the same fate, and that the collector booster boxes for Fallout are going to be harder to come by than expected. The prices online right now are higher than you would expect, and a lot of places are already sold out on pre-order, which leads me to believe that that allocation story is fairly widespread, which means that fancy things that come out of the Fallout CBs might end up spiking harder up front, having higher pre-orders that that trail off more slowly, and that some of the best of the best stuff is going to be very pricey down the road. So that's definitely something to watch out for as we pivot into the previews for Fallout over the next couple of weeks. Uh, the only serialized cards out of Fallout are the bobbleheads, right? Yeah, and I don't care much about those. I'm talking about new yeah. cards that are commander-relevant that have commander-staple potential. Like, I was looking at that. Is it the Nuke? Nuka-Cola The Nuka-Cola vending machine. Yeah, that thing's going to be crazy. It's just so good with everything food-related because you turn food into treasure. 
Well, yeah, and, it, and it's in the in the decks that run Academy Manufacture. That thing is crazy. Yeah, because it just says whenever you sack a food, make a tra- tap treasure token, and then one tap make a food. There, there are a ton of decks that would play an artifact for three. Said one tap make a food, and much less sack a food, get a tap treasure. You're getting all the artifact synergies, all the food and treasures, and all of that stuff. Like it's pre-ordering for a ridiculous amount. Um, we'll see what the um, showcase version ends up looking like, what it ends up selling for, because we already know it's the the Fallout Boy uh, going around with a cola and a cap. So it's going to be neat. This is going to be one of the cards that's probably going to do insane things. Other thing we wanted to do is just do a rundown of the top commanders of the last week and month. Uh, over the last week, as we said, Voja Jaws of the Conclave has been the big winner, and you're looking at cards with elf and wolf synergies there. Pantlaza Sunfavored is still sitting in number two. Dinosaur Hype still selling cards. Still, I'm still s- selling stuff briskly that, that has to do Pantla- Pantlaza. I've played Pantlaza quite a bit with the Pro Traders over the last couple months, and it's very similar to Joda in, in the sense that you... You must kill the commander right now. Yeah, you have to kill the commander or, or you're going to go off. And there's a bunch of ways to abuse it. Dinosaurs have critical mass in EDH. I can say that confidently. There are enough good dinosaurs for the deck. There are enough support cards for the deck. There's a whole bunch of tutoring effects and you know natural orders and stuff like that that get big things into play very easily and, and make it tough for your opponents. Third most popular commander this week is Judith, Carnage Connoisseur. That's three black red for a 3-4 human shaman out of MKM. Whenever you cast an instant or sorcery, you either uh, give that spell Death Touch and Life Link, which you're typically going to do with damage spells, or you create a 2-2 red imp creature token with whenever this creature dies, it deals two damage to each opponent. The Ur-Dragon is in fourth place. Atraxa, you know, forever top ten, is in fifth. Murko Obsessive Theorist out of MKM, uh, I guess it's an MKC card, technically, is a one blue black one three vampire detective with flying and vigilance. Whenever you surveil, put a plus one plus one counter on Murko. At the beginning of your end step, you may return target creature with card with power less than Murko's from your graveyard to the battlefield with a finality counter on it. I think the thing that people probably miss about this commander is, yeah, you can do a surveil theme and you might want to, but this is really just about getting his power high so you can just keep recursing creatures from the yard pretty much yeah, free. That's one of the like one of the best one of the best reanimator commanders we've ever gotten. And it only costs three. So you're gonna get to cast it probably three or four times a game on three, five, seven, and nine. Pretty good. Uh Sauron the Dark Lord, out of Lord of the Rings, is in seventh place. Hackbal of the Surging Soul is still giving people uh fun times building blue-green Merfolk decks. Morska Undersea Sleuth. Coming up into ninth, although I am convinced that by going to Joda instead of Morska, you're getting red and black, which expands your uh, clue and abuse of clue potential. So I will uh, get that. try to get that article out the door as promised next week. Ren and Siri Inseparable is in 10th, uh, put back on the agenda almost entirely, I would imagine, by the distribution of the Ren and Siri... Secret layers, um, yeah. Finn, uh, Ginny Fay and Jetmir decks and looks like people are rebuilding Ren and Siri as opposed to building Ginny Fay. In terms of power level that's almost certainly wrong but in terms of theming can't really fault people and I've noticed that my foil extended art Japanese copies that I bought under four four dollars or something close to release of M21 have been selling briskly over 20 bucks. 
I didn't even know there was a different um, secret lair version of Rin and Siri, but I I forgot about how there was the version from uh, the the other happy cat and dog combination. So it's wild. It's great. I I understand why you say Ginny Pay is better. Um, getting two free tokens every time you cast a, a dog or cat while it's in play, that's that's pretty great. Plus the activated ability. Uh, I can't fault you if you want to build around that instead of what Jenny Faye does. There, you know, it's it, there's no bad flavor of ice cream. You're just going to get delicious ice cream no matter what. Yeah, there's three total versions of of, of Ren and Siri, two from the Secret Layer drops and the Buy a Box promo that I was referring to. Uh, but the newest version is sixteen dollars, and the Secret Layer version from earlier forty two. And those buy a box promos of Ren and Siri are 28. Do not underestimate the pet market. No, do not. Absolutely do not. Um, I just want to call out that back in mid-January, I wrote a whole article about Judith and the things that might pop up for her. Uh, Blasphemous Act is high on the inclusion list. I expect that to be really high. If you want to have some fun, uh, also throw Chain Reaction in there. You'll gain a couple hundred life really easy. All right, that looks like uh, coverage for the week. Where can folks find you online, my friend? You can find me online at Twitter at Word of Commander or my articles every Friday on mtgprice.com. And you can find me on Twitter at mtgcritic as well as via my occasional articles on mtgprice.com and my constant haunting of the ProTrader Discord. I'd also like to remind our listeners to check out the mtgprice.com ProTrader service for just $9.99 a month or $109.99 per year. You can get early access to this podcast, fantastic articles by the best MTG finance minds in the business, low-cost group buys, our new heirloom edition series of... Uh, super premium MTG-related products, a super active Discord forum that will drive better returns and save you money playing Magic the Gathering. Once again, MTG Fast Finance is proudly sponsored by Cool Stuff, Inc., where you can find all sorts of cool, nerdy stuff in stock, including all the best in Magic the Gathering singles, sealed product, and a plethora of other collectibles. Please use the promo code FINANCE5 during checkout at CoolStuffInc.com to save 5% off your order and support this podcast. That's it for one more week of craziness, James. Who knows what tomorrow holds? Thank you, Cliff. Thank you to all the listeners, and we'll see all of you next week on another episode of MTG Fast Finance.